before I just start reading in verse 15, I want to give a quick, just maybe two-minute recap of the first 14 verses. So last week, we began studying the old nature and how God views the old man. And the principle was laid down that because we were baptized into Christ, God sees the old nature as dealt with in the cross. So much so that the word dead is even used, that he is dead. And so in the next section of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7, the Bible expands on what this looks like in reality, how this operates in our daily living. So let's get started. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means? Let's just stop there for a moment. So if you've been following the sermon series, this is, I think, the fourth, it might be the third time, but it's the third or fourth time that question has been asked. So should we just keep on sinning? That way grace abounds. And the answer is always no. Here, we learn that we are no longer under the law, the Old Testament law. Instead, we are under a new era of grace. So the question then begs itself, well, if we're not under the law, then should we just, you know, disregard it and go on sinning? That way, grace covers it. And the answer is no. Another way of saying it is like this. Well, if grace is so powerful and grace is so big, and if grace is bigger than the law, then what does it matter if I go on sinning? Grace is going to cover it. The answer is this rhetorical, no, that's not how it works. And then he goes on to give us a reason why. We're going to read here through at least verse 19. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So here's one of the arguments that's being made. He says, it's true you're no longer under the law, but does that mean that you can just go on sinning and grace is going to cover it? The quick answer is no, that's not what it means. But what he's pointing out is that that is a, just a, such a nonsense argument to start with because whoever you present yourself to, to follow and, and live under, you choose to be a slave to that person, whether you acknowledge it or not. And so if you present yourself to sin to the nature of sin, to the world system, to the flesh, to all that is evil, if you give yourself to that and you go on continuing your same sinful lifestyle, 
what you've really proven is that the world is still your master. But if you've turned from that and you're now following God and you present yourself to Him with a lifestyle of righteousness, that demonstrates that He is your master. And so the point is not that somehow we get saved by stopping sinning and start following the Lord. That's not the point. The point is is that when we truly are saved, when we have a new nature, that automatically we do change who we're following. And so the whole question of can I continue sinning just because grace is good, it's just a stupid question. Because how we live demonstrates who our master is. Jesus asked the question this way. He said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? It's a rhetorical question that means I'm not your Lord. It's just lip service. What you say, you don't really do. And what you do proves who you really are. So this statement about slaves to sin or slaves to God, he's just pointing out that like, no, the whole argument doesn't even work. If you do go on sinning because grace is so big, you're still proving that God's not your master anyways, and you're still under the master of sin. So this is a rhetorical question that doesn't make any sense. So stop asking it. Stop thinking about it. We, we don't even go there as Christians. There should be something wrong with the Christian who says to himself, I can go on in my sin. I can live how I want to do. I can sin against God if I want because God's grace is so good it doesn't matter. Bible tells us over and over and over and over again, that's not how it works. Let's read on, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you didn't have to care about doing what was right because you followed sin. But what fruit were you getting at that time? From the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have become or have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he asked the question, what fruit did you get out of that old sinful lifestyle? You know, that's an important question to ask. What fruit did you get? And the answer is, whatever it was, it led you to be ashamed. That's an interesting word. One of the things that is associated with shame is the feeling of wanting to hide. When someone is ashamed, they typically want to hide, which is exactly what Adam and Eve did when they initially sinned. They tried to hide and cover themselves. That's what shame does. And you'll find that this is what sin does. In fact, how did he say it? It, uh, the fruit of the thing that you were getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed. So this is the way that, that sin works. It promises a little bit of joy, but it ultimately leads to shame. And almost always, sin takes you further than you intended to go. When you initially thought it was just going to be one act, it became a multitude. Sometimes it becomes a way of life. You thought it was just going to be one taste, one experience, one look, whatever it may be. And you'll find that sin takes you further and further and further, and its end is death. Now, on the contrary, 
we see there's this very clear distinction between that person whose master is sin from that person who is a slave to sin versus the person who instead has made God their master and has now chosen to come under his leadership and is a slave to God. Look what it says. There's two important things in verse 22. Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, look at this. The fruit you get, first of all, it leads to sanctification. So this is the intro to Christianity sermon series. We're trying to teach some of the foundations of our Christian faith. We are now introduced to a new word that is an important word to understand, sanctification. The first word uh, in this uh, process of things we are was justification. We found in Romans chapter 5 that we are now justified before God through the blood of Jesus. Justification and sanctification are two different things, and I want to explain. To be justified, what it means is that when God looks at you, he says, not guilty. And he can do so justly because Jesus took your guilt and paid for it already. It's already done. It's paid for in full. And we learned that this is what God does with our sins, the things that we have done, that God deals with our sins through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And so God is just. He is righteous when he looks down and he says, you are forgiven, you owe nothing, you are completely free, you are redeemed, you are justified because I see the blood has paid for every single one of your sins. And we become justified immediately at salvation. Sanctification, not so. Sanctification is a process. Sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. So at any point in your Christian life, you should be able to look back and look at where you started and where you are now, and you should be able to say, I have grown a lot since then. I am more like Christ now than I was when I started. But when you look forward, you also realize, Phew, I've got a long ways to go. And the goal is to take steps forward and become more and more like the man or woman of God that he's called us to be. That process is called sanctification. Now, here's what I want you to see. That is the fruit of presenting ourselves to God. And fruit happens automatically when the tree has been planted. When you do the things you need to do, you don't produce the fruit. God produces the fruit. And so all that you have to do is follow him, obedience to him. And so the very act of turning away from sin and turning to God, the very act of learning as a Christian to say no to the old nature, you are no longer my master, you are dead to me, you don't rule me anymore. I have a new master. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and he rules me. The very act of learning to do that in the place of temptation and learning to follow the Holy Spirit in your life, it leads to sanctification. That's one of the fruits of, this, of, of learning to walk out this in your Christian faith. And then ultimately, we see its end is eternal life. That's where it's leading us. There could not be a, a more... A drastic difference 
between following the way of sin and following the way of Christ. One leads to shame and death. The other leads to sanctification and eternal life. What we are about to read in chapter 7 is a somewhat strange way to make this argument that we are free from the old man. And what the Bible does for us here, what the Apostle Paul does for us here, is he makes a legal argument to just further prove we are not under the law anymore. And we are no longer under the lordship of our sinful flesh nature. And here's why. And so here's, here's the, a legal argument. I'm going to read all the way through verse 6. And then we'll stop and comment. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. And if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died. See, it's a past tense thing. We were baptized into Christ. You have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So, this is a you know, pretty grandiose argument here that even legally we are no longer obligated to obey the flesh. That legally, in heaven's courts, because Christ died and we were in him, baptized into him, and God credits his death as our death, we've been set free from our relationship with the old man. I don't have to listen to him anymore. I am no longer obligated to follow the, the, the lustful nature of the old man. Furthermore, not only am I free from that, I have been married to Christ. That's the argument that's being made here. That's the analogy that's being made here. I have another to whom I am now connected and committed to. And so I must be obedient to that person. So... Paul's just kind of like really hammering this home that from every angle, from every view, from every possible way you can look at it, we no longer should have a relationship with the old man, with the old woman. We have a new nature, a new master. We are free from the law. We are free from the, the law of sin. We no longer follow the sinful ways of our old sinful passions. Instead, we follow the Lord. Verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I want to explain what's being said here. So the question is, so is the law bad? The answer is no, it's not. 
It's not bad, but it can't save you. The point being, so if the law makes me guilty, does that make the law bad? No, it makes you bad. The law's not guilty, you're guilty. The law hasn't sinned against God, you sinned against God. The only thing the law does is it makes you aware of the truth. And to that degree, the law is good. It's almost like a mirror that, that, that clarifies who I am without God, that clarifies that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. So it's not bad. And he says, I wouldn't have even really known what sin was if it wasn't for the law. Let's look at the next portion of this verse. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So what's he saying here? We read it a minute ago that um, while we were living in our flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. Our sinful passions aroused by the law. And then he says basically the same thing where had I not, had the law not told me not to covet, I wouldn't have even known that I was. But then he says, once I did know, it produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Isn't that the way that we as human beings are? When we're told you can't have something, then you really want it. Like until you really knew you shouldn't do that thing, it wasn't too big of a deal. But then once you were told you can't do that thing, all of a sudden it's all you could think about. He says that's kind of what the law is like. You might have had some consciousness you were a sinner, but then all of a sudden when the law revealed that thought's wrong, that thing's wrong, that action's wrong, all of a sudden that's all you could think about. And it aroused all sorts of passions within you. Does that make the law bad? No. It just makes it a revealer of who we really are and how wicked we really are without Christ and how desperately we need a Savior. And so the law isn't bad, but it can't save anybody. It can only point out how bad you are. And the irony is that once it does, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm totally awakened to all of these evil thoughts. And now I'm thinking more than I was because I was told I can't have this, can't have that, can't have that. And now I really, really want it. And so he says, Apart from the law, sin lies dead, or it doesn't really have any power apart from the law. He says, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So that's a difficult verse. I'm going to tell you what I think it means, but it doesn't really tell us. It just, that's the statement, and then um, all of a sudden we move on. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, or the law came, sin came alive, and I died. Here's what I think that means. I think Paul's referencing a time in his life before he was mature enough to really understand the law of God. That apart from the law, we, we might even call it the age of accountability in, in more common terms. As a, young, as a young person, as a young child, not understanding the law, not understanding what sin was, it really didn't bother me that much. It was as if sin had no real power over my life. But the very moment that I understood the commandments, the very moment that I understood the law, I was awakened to the fact I am a sinner 
and then sin itself came alive in me, and therefore I died. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm dead because I'm a sinner. Like, it destroyed me. My purity was gone. My, any ounce of, uh, any, any ounce of, you know, argument I could have that I didn't know, it was gone. I was clearly a sinner, and then all of a sudden, all I wanted to do was sin. Even though the law said no, I wanted to sin more and more and more. So we see that the, the argument being made here is that, again, the law was never meant to convert us. That the Old Testament law was never meant to save us, and nor does it deal with the sin nature of who I was. It doesn't deal with the sin nature in me. It only points it out. So let's read on. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. So, did that which is good, the law, then bring, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. All right, so that's the last statement here about the law, and I'm just going to comment on it, and then we're going to move to the conclusion, which I'm excited to get to. He says, so if the law is good, did it bring death upon me? I mean, the law is the one that pointed out that I'm a sinner. The law is the one that awakened me to the truth that I'm a sinner. So, did the law, which is a good thing, make me guilty? No. You were guilty before you knew what the law was. And that's the point. The law is not bad. You are. The law didn't make you guilty, and it's not the law's fault that sinners are going to die and go to hell. It's sinners' fault that sinners are going to die and go to hell. It wasn't the law that made me sin. And therefore, the law is still good, but it didn't make me sin. I'm the one who chose to sin. The only thing the law does is it's real to me. I'm bad. And so the law is good. The law is holy. It's not the fault of the law that we become sinners. The whole point being that there is a problem with the sin nature in us that has to be dealt with. And we, we've been studying now for two weeks. God has dealt with that portion of who I am through Christ. In one way, he has dealt with it by seeing that part of me is already done, is already dead, is already done away with in Christ on the cross. On the other hand, practically, how do we work that out in our Christian faith? And so now we come to the great big conclusion of the old man versus the new man. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Flesh, the sin, the old nature, the old man are all terms that can be used together to mean the same thing. 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Would you agree that this is possibly one of the best statements that clarifies the Christian journey for multitudes, and I want to say what I'm about to say cautiously, especially children in the faith. 
Now, it's possible to be a child of God and remain a child for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And so it's possible to be saved for 20, 30 years and still find yourself in this text where the very thing I want to do, I don't do it. The very thing that I wish that I didn't, that I do, I don't do that. It's possible to be saved 10, 20, 30 years and find yourself still doing that. And I say this lovingly, but sincerely, if that's you, you need to grow up. Because what we're going to find is this is not meant to be the forever state of the child of God. Paul is addressing the internal struggle that we all battle with, but you're going to notice the text does not end there. It's not like, well, that's just the way it is, and so can't wait till Jesus comes back. We actually have a solution. There is a way that we advance out of that and live free from condemnation. But it's true that for the child of God, we all go through this phase where it's like the very thing I want to do, I'm not doing it. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. Well, let's read on. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. In other words, if I don't want to do the thing, even though I'm doing it, if I don't want to do it, I'm just proving I agree the law is good. Because the law says I shouldn't do it. I agree I shouldn't do it, but I'm doing it anyways. And so I agree with the law that the law is good. Verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, at least not in the flesh. Let's stop there for a moment. Verse 17 is a powerful verse. We're introduced for the first time to a concept about who I really am. Paul said this, he said, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Here's what Paul says, my old nature, my old man, that sinful part of me, that is so far removed from me, I don't even identify with that anymore. That's not me. That's not who I am. This is one of the most important things you'll learn as a Christian is understanding your identity. Because as long as you actually believe, now follow me. I pray the Holy Spirit right now helps everybody hear what I'm about to say. As long as you believe that you are, in fact, still the old you. As long as you believe that those thoughts and those feelings that seem to raise their ugly head up still identify who you are as a person, you will live in shame. And you will not present yourself to God. And you will try to hide from God. But if you can get to the place that you see that part of you, just like Paul said, that's not even me. Like, it's not I. That is not me. Because me, me, I love God. I'm a child of God. I am a blood-bought, born-again Christian. I have a new nature. I've been created in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Everything becomes new. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. I love God, and I want to please God. Those thoughts, that is not me. I might call that person the old me, but it isn't me, me. It's the old me. It's the dead me. It's the old man. 
It is not I. Another reason this is so important is because when I start to recognize that, two things happen. Number one, I quit living in great, horrible shame every time that a wicked thought raises itself up in my flesh. Because I recognize that is not who I am. I am not that person anymore. Thank God I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ. And so now I don't have to feel ashamed every time that old, those old thoughts come up. But of equal importance, when I recognize that's not even me, why would I listen at all to what not me has to say? We don't need to have a conversation about it. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to contemplate it. The answer is no. We're not having this conversation. You're dead to me. Shut up. You're the old me. You, don't, you are not me. You don't rule my life anymore. This conversation's over. Paul says, it's not even I. It's, it's that old nature of sin. Now, let's read on. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Verse 18. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Not with the flesh, we do not. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We'll stop there. He says, so I find that now there's a new law. It's, it's like, it's like a, not like a legal law, but more like a law of nature law. That when I want to do good, evil is, lies close behind. That there's like this tug of war going on inside of me. Listen, this is one of the key things to really understand. You're saved. And I said this last week. There are young people that, that really struggle with, am I saved? Am I saved? How can I be saved if there's still a part of me that thinks evil things? Well, first of all, that old part of you isn't even you anymore. That's the dead man. That's the old man. And second of all, the very fact that there's a conflict is proof that you've got the Spirit of God living in you, reproving you of sin, which is why there's a struggle. And so the goal now is to learn to follow the, the new nature, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life and tune out the old. It's interesting because on one hand, right, in, in the first part of chapter 6, we're told the old man is dead. And then at the close of chapter 7, we're told that we are at war with the old man. So, no doubt, this is a topic that's difficult to explain with natural terms. And the Apostle Paul has gone at it from several different angles to give us different views and understanding of like how this works itself out in the, in the spiritual realm. And what I want to do, what I want to say or, or introduce is we close this section of Romans. What you, what is you've got to realize this is ultimately about your identity, who you are. And what your enemy wants you to do is to spend your whole time 
looking at the old man or the old woman and just staring at him and thinking, you're evil, you're terrible, there's nothing you can do, and you should be better, you should change. And then you start to think, that's me. And so I'm evil, and I'm terrible, and I'm horrible, and I should change. And now I start this massive journey to try to change the old man, and it's a never-ending battle that you can't do, and you end up living most of your Christian life in shame and defeat. It was a life changer when I learned that God never asked me to change the old man. God just told me to see him as dead, to ignore him, to recognize that when he wants to try to to, to assert his authority in my life, that I can remind him that I died in Christ and so we're divorced and you're no longer married to me. I've, I've married Christ. Last week, I stated that there was a time in my life that I was hoping that the old nature and my new nature would grab hands in great joy and skip down the road praising the Lord Jesus Christ. And it never happened because it won't happen. I want to say the same thing, but in a much more ferocious way. The Bible says that the Spirit wars against the flesh. Not only, not only is your old nature not going to change and go down the road skipping. Your old nature hates the new nature. It is an absolute war between the two, and it will not go away. And God has not asked you to make the old nature go away. The flesh is a term that also can mean the old nature, the, you know, the, the old man. Here's what the Bible says about the flesh. In Ephesians 4.22, it says that the flesh is corrupt. That word corrupt, it means to grow corrupt. In some translations, it actually says the flesh grows corrupt. Here's what the, God, the Bible teaches us about that old man. Not only is he not going to get better, he's going to get worse. That the more that we experience the world, the worse the old nature becomes. It just grows more and more and more corrupt. And then in Galatians 5.17, we are told that they, they, their, their desires are contrary to one another. So what the old nature wants is contrary to what the new nature wants. I want to go back to this is about who I am. This is my identity. Which one of those, so if that's your life and you're a Christian, which one of those two are you? Are you the old man or are you the new man? According to God... You're the new man. And it does us well to recognize how evil the flesh is. It's interesting that God made man body, soul, and spirit. When God redeemed you and changed you and saved you, he redeemed your spirit and your soul. You know the one part of you that God said, I'm not going to do anything with? The flesh. That's God's estimation of it. It's good for nothing but death. And that's why the flesh is dealt with in the cross. That's where God, nothing but death. That's why when we go to heaven, we get a new set of flesh. We get a new body. That's God's estimation of your flesh. You know, there's a certain part of us that at times gets a little prideful and we want to think, no, I can change the old me. 
No, I, I can tame him. I can change him. No, you can't. Don't buy that lie. Don't stop it. Just, just stop focusing so much on the old man and keep your eyes on Jesus and keep your focus on him and, and, and you, you press forward towards him because the old nature is so wicked and, and untamable and unchangeable. It's deceitful. It'll let you think you're taming it so that it can trick you down some road that you don't need to go. There is nothing more exhausting than living your whole Christian life trying to change your old man. You just live in nothing but shame and defeat. But when the day comes that you realize, hold on a second, according to God, that old part of me has already been crucified in Christ. God sees it as dealt with. You know that's hard for us to do because we live in time. We look at our experience and we think, well, it doesn't feel that way to me. God who sees the beginning from the end, he sees it that way. That's, he, he, he says, your old nature is already done and dealt with in Christ Jesus. It's done, it's done, it's done. And so now, just ignore him. Move on. Yes, it's true that while he's dead in Christ, it's true that he still tries to raise his dead head and he still tries to take control of your life. But you have to understand, I am a new creation. You are no longer my master. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, it's as if we move into this argument of, so what is the great conclusion? And I want you to see it. I'm gonna, what I'm about to say, I'm going to say when we start next week, because this, this is such an awesome turning point in the book of Romans. Paul starts with, concerning this grappling going on, have you ever felt this way? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? From this body of death, here's the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Exclamation point. He's the answer. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh serve the law of sin. Verse eight, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation, for those who are, and if you underline in your Bible, underline these words, in Christ Jesus. It is being positionally in Christ that explains why I have no condemnation. Now, I'm going to do this as we close. I'm going to go ahead and ask our worship team, you guys come and get a place. I want to take the first seven chapters of Romans, and I want to put them together in one continuous thought in two minutes. Because the great conclusion is we, we, we have no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You know, there are people who have learned that verse, but it, they still live with condemnation. This is a great example where I can point to that you can skip forward to chapter 8 and verse 1, and you can read chapter 8 and verse 1. There's no condemnation. I'm in Christ. There's no condemnation. But you still live in it. Because you have to understand how we get to the conclusion. And here it is. Romans chapter 1, even the sinners of the world are without excuse. Their consciences bear witness of them. They're guilty before God. Romans chapter 2, church people aren't a whole lot better off. Some of you are even worse off because you know the truth and you still don't keep the law. Romans chapter 3, we're all guilty. We need a Savior. We have a problem. In Romans chapter 3, we are introduced to, but now... 
Something's changed. But now we learn of a righteousness, a right standing with God that comes not from keeping the law, but through faith. In Romans chapter 4, by the way, it's really been that way all the time. Go all the way back to Abraham. And what you'll find is that Abraham was saved by faith. And he's the father of our faith. In Romans chapter 5, we have the explanation that we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That the sins that we've committed, the crimes that we are guilty of before God, have been paid for in full. And so God could look and justly and rightly declare us free from our guilt, free from sin, atoned for, paid for in full and just before Him. Because when Christ died His death, and I was baptized into Christ, His death became my death. And then Romans chapter 6, we find out, but hold on a second. It's not just my sins that I need a solution for. It's the very nature of sin in me that drove me to sin in the first place. And God says, hold on a second, there's an answer for that too. That flesh nature of yours, that old you, was crucified with Christ. And in the sight of God, it's done and dealt with completely. And so now, as long as you'll see yourself in Christ, and you want to look for God's answer to your sins and the very sin nature itself, look to Christ and see that you're in Christ. You've been set free from it all. And so even though there's this internal struggle that goes on as a Christian, I can know that I know that I know that I know that in the sight of God it has all been dealt with entirely and completely. When God looks at me, He doesn't even see the old me, the flesh, the old nature. He doesn't even see that as me. He sees me as the new blood-bought, born-again Son of God that He purchased with the very blood of His own Son. And that's who I am in His sight. And now all of a sudden, in Christ, there is no condemnation. I don't live in shame anymore. I don't live in shame and regret because of the old nature. But I am set free entirely. Because God's plan is perfect and God's plan is complete. And you know what we, we do from here? Because now, in my opinion, Romans is even more interesting. Especially chapter 8 and chapter 12. What we learn from here is God didn't just deal with the part that was wrong. We've spent the entire time so far, all seven chapters deal with what's wrong and what God's answer is to what's wrong. Now that we get it settled, my sins have been paid for, my old nature has been crucified, I am in Christ. Now we move forward to walking in the Spirit. God has more for us. And that's what Romans chapter 8 moves to. And I'm excited to get there.